Hi, this is Dr. Adrian. Welcome to Health Bite, the podcast where we explore all things health and wellness. Welcome back. This is Dr. Adrian, and you're with us on our podcast, Health Bite, where we talk about all things health and wellness. Today, I am really excited to introduce to you Whitney Tucker. She is a woman who wears many, many hats and has had a very um, varied background. Whitney is a wellness coach and a fitness practitioner. She's a personal trainer and a Pilates instructor and has a history as a dancer as well as a public school teacher. So a eclectic um, and varied background. Welcome, Whitney. I'm so glad to have you today. I am so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Sure. So um, I, I want to start, there's so much good stuff to talk about today, um, but I want to start with um, your personal journey and kind of what made you interested in pursuing a path in, in health? Um, initially, I would say it's, you know, when you think about things like that, when you think about the genesis or the beginning of something, um, I don't know if there's a particular moment, but I will say that um, what got me really interested in embodiment was from really um, a young child kind of seeing my parents who were both into physical practices and, um, and how they would use them to connect with themselves. It wasn't really so much like to get in shape necessarily, but I was raised on 53 acres of like land bordering a national forest in Illinois where the cycles of nature are really dominant, where, um, you know, I come from a, a farming family. So I think that going way back and understanding more about natural agriculture and all of those, all of that, how, how I was as, you know, in a human body and in, in all of that, um, if I look at the genesis of that, it's probably from then, right? Like connection to nature and that our, our physical nature is no different than, than that. So, but then, you know, later in life, when I, um, I realized something that I became a professional dancer, I studied dance, became a professional dancer, went to college for it, pursued it, moved to New York city to do, to do that, traveled the world doing it. And what I realized in that journey is that not everybody had that privilege. Not everybody had encouragement of parents. Not everybody had connection to the natural world. Not everybody had the opportunity to um, feel freedom in their body and exploration in their body. Um, so I realized in that a huge privilege. And I decided, you know, I, I was in New York City and I remember I was trying to be a fine dining server to, to make mm -hmm. money to basically like as my my hustle to try to, you know, afford being an artist, essentially. Um, and one of my colleagues said, she's like, you know, you, you really could and should teach. And I had been a public school teacher, but I had never worked with people as a health practitioner. And I, I pretty quickly realized that I enjoyed doing that more than performing, that um, that was a creative process of you know, meeting somebody, getting to know them, getting to know the, the physical narrative that they had about their own body 
And then using what I knew about anatomy, physiology, and exercise science, in addition to the arts, to have them really embody a different experience, to have them, you know, become something different um, that they wanted to, and that they really hadn't, you know, had somebody along their side saying, yeah, you want to do a pull-up, you can do it. You want to run a marathon, you can do it. You are no different than um, people who are doing those things. Or women that eventually when I became a birth worker, right, women that, you know, didn't realize that they could have a vaginal birth at home if they wanted one. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, there's so much good stuff there. I want to talk a little bit about um, your background in kind of very uh, concrete uh, physical understanding of an anatomy, for example, and how you bring that concreteness, uh, the knowing of the body to a more um, kind of spiritual knowing, because the concept of embodiment is both concrete and also has kind of a spiritual quality. Um, talk a little bit about that, you know, how you incorporate that education and um, background. And I want to know a little bit about the, the dissections that you've done. I'm intrigued by that when non-medical practitioners have done dissections. Yeah, no. And it's, so I can trace that back to some very, very key mentors of mine. Um, so my first kind of educational mentor who helped certify me is Kelly Kane and she's founder of the Kane school based in New York city. And, um, her belief, as far as I can tell, especially at that time was in order to get people to start to have a conversation about the body and its parts and its movements and its kinesiology, we have to kind of agree that your thigh bone is going to be called the femur that the far end of it's going to be called distal. Right. And it's all, it's, I was like, all right, this is, we're like, and it was very different from what I had learned from esoteric anatomy in yoga, where we're talking about chakras, we're talking about aura, we're talking about these things that may not have, as we, as, as we sometimes think, they may not have a physical or tangible sense, but we actually know they do. They have, they hold, they hold magnetic force, energy, energy can be measured, all these things. But the reason I wanted to get into anatomy is that I, I wanted a concrete way to learn. I wanted a concrete way. And I had, I had thought about, do, should I be a nurse? Should I, you know, there's all these things I had explored because I, I wanted the comfort of knowing. But actually what I realized after going through dissections and going through more anatomical understanding, we really don't know. Well, these are things that we've agreed to call things. And, you know, the more that we can admit that we don't know things, the more we can find out, I think. Um, and that's what I, when I, I have taught anatomy to yoga, yoga trainings, and that's how I approach it. I said, listen, we're doing this so that we can agree on what a location is typically called. Um, but there are variances in this there. This is disputable if we care to do it, but, um, so there is so much in the human body that is, you know, I mean, in medicine, we have concrete ways of, of diagnosing, um, disease, for example, um, but we also know that nobody is textbooked, textbook, right? And so they can present with symptoms that we, we haven't studied or aren't classic or respond to treatments that are not classic. But it is a point of understanding, like you said, which is, which is important, you know, to, to know what yeah. you do know and what you don't know. I do want to go a little bit more into this whole um, idea of embodiment and how you use that 
really to empower people. You mentioned um, you brought up the the birthing stories, or you alluded to people who didn't know or thought that they can't do marathons and and how they can. How do you use this understanding of embodiment to um, empower people to kind of achieve great things? Well, I, I will say this, I had to do it myself. Um, so I try not to suggest anything to people or like, or, or any guide or partner them in any way to do something I haven't tried myself or wouldn't try myself um, or don't believe in fully. Um, so, and, and I, you know, a big lesson in that. So before embodied potential, which is my brand, my, my company before that was kind of birthed. I, if I go way back to college, I, I had studied abroad and it was at the start of the Iraq war. And I was, you know, in Spain and I was studying Spanish, but I was a dance major and I came back really questioning if that was, if dance and dance performance was my, the best use of my energy. And I was about to quit. And I said, I'm just going to quit. And this is the last semester of my college year. And my mentors and my parents are like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn. So my parents were very worried because they're like, oh, gosh, she's going to do it. She's going to, like, blow all this. But luckily, I had, a, I had a mentor at the time, Melissa Rolnick. And she said, listen, we have a really interesting opportunity that um, basically the women who are part of a halfway house who were prostituted women who are working with the city of Phoenix, I went to Arizona State, um, there's an opportunity to work with them in a movement capacity and basically learn from the people that are providing services to them um, to go in and have some kind of movement experience with them on a long-term basis. I had no idea what I was doing. I had, you know, I had clearance uh, to do this. I had support. There was like people there. But I really, it was a major lesson in what embodiment is to me, which it actually has a lot to do with how somebody conceives of their body. So not the actual, it's like, and it embedded within that is our sense of self-worth, our sense of our, how we've, how we have integrated trauma or not. Um, and I, you know, at the time I, I was like, wow, this is, this is, I was totally terrified of it. Um, but I worked with them for two years um, I learned a lot. I learned that I, I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> like, and that trauma education is, is a total discipline on its own. Um, and that I think you can sometimes do more harm than good if you don't know what you're doing. Um, but when I, you know, that, what I would say, what I took from that experience and then subsequently, you know, trying to, trying to align myself with people who I felt were doing important and good work and, in many ways. One of them later was, you know, I kept looking, I kept looking for like, who can I learn from? Who's doing the work I believe in? One of them is the doula project um, founded by Lauren Mitchell, a dear friend of mine that provides um, abortion services and full, spe full spectrum reproductive justice services for women in New York City. So I worked with them for a few years um, as a doula for second trimester terminations. So throughout all those, I saw that here are these people going through, mostly women, going through experiences that could drastically shift their sense of their body. And I, what I ended up realizing is I had to do that work myself. I had to integrate my experiences 
um, as somebody that had been raped, somebody that had been as a child um, molested, somebody, I had to do a lot of work and I, I will always, I will always do work, you know, um, but kind of going in, understanding that like, we do have some choice there, how I choose to respond to my circumstances has a lot to do with embodiment. Embodiment to me is just how we understand our physical, ourself in the universe. And it's also, uh, like you suggested, it's also a therapeutic tool, not only for people who have history of trauma, so kind of movement practice and embodiment is, is a therapy when used in the right hands of a knowing individual for trauma, right? But it is also something that I think um, everyone can gleam off of. So right now we are kind of still in the um, corona uh, virus pandemic and um, everyone you know many people are describing this as a collective trauma um, some people are experiencing it as a very significant trauma in illness in themselves or illness in somebody close to them maybe death in someone who's close to them and and other people are experiencing it in a more garden variety way um, not being able to have their weddings or go on those planned vacations or and and all the variations in between i like the idea though of embodiment as a way of getting people out of their heads right and into action like to speak to your point of us having free choice can you talk about that a little bit about how we can use this as a way to move ourselves from inaction to action and having agency really. Oh my God. I love that. I mean, that is like, to me, the, the phrase embodied potential, that is what it is, right? It's that so early on in the pandemic, something personally to me, awesome happened where I have a, I have the fortune of having an incredible client named Mike Berland, who's a New York Times author, and uh, he's a really, really um, intelligent thinker on like a meta level. I always ask him, um, and he studies social trends. He studies social trends and the traction that they have, and he works with some of the biggest companies that we know of to, to side with them, like, okay, this is, this is a trend that's going to have traction. He and I did an Instagram live. He's a client of mine who I help. He's an Ironman athlete also, um, who I, I worked with physically to, to prevent injury. And, and he, we made a deal. He said, listen, if I make it through Ironman training uninjured, which I, he had been the two years prior, we get to go to Hawaii. You'll get to see me compete. And I was like, this is awesome. Great. <laughs> and so when the pandemic hit, I said, listen, can we do an IG live? I want, and he had just published a book called Maximum Momentum. Yeah, I think it's Maximum Momentum. So it's basically like here we had all been careening through our lives, like planning our stuff with momentum, kind of maybe trusting the universe or not. And all of a sudden, everybody stops. Everything is stopped. And what we spoke about is I said, all right, how are you going to approach, approach what's happened? Because I'm curious, like you have, a, you have an incredible mind. And he said, well, listen, he said this for people, this is either going to be a pause or a pivot. It's either going to be a stop or a pivot. And immediately, like I had just, I had just started to create Sync to Thrive, which is the eight week hormonal reset program that I run. I just started it. And I was like, wow, I could either say, oh, this is the worst time to launch an online program, like not knowing, cause this was like week one or two of the pandemic. 
or this is a pivot point. And, and he said, you, you know, and he called it exactly. He said, New York is going to be one of the last places globally, right? Because of how close we are, because we really can't get away from each other. We're really so intertwined. Our public transit system, you can't avoid being around people. And, um, you know, he said, he said, plan on this being, it, we're not going to go back pre-COVID. We like, we have to figure out how to mourn what pre-COVID was in addition to mourning what we're losing by being in COVID. And um, that is unique to each person. It's unique into, you know, for people that are really familiar with deep trauma, they sort of are always in a state of fight or flight. So this is just like, all right, we're kind of built for this. Um, and for people that, you know, they kind of, this is something where they're like, oh my God, my whole, all my plans have ended. I don't know where to put my energy. I know people that like in March and April feel like their lives just kind of stopped and they don't know where to put their energy. And that is scary. And we've all had to look inward. Like the, the invitation is to spend better time with ourselves. Um, and that was already tough for some people, <laughs> you know, um, comes from, um, some of that comes from like thinking about it, right? Like thinking inward. And some of it also just comes from, uh, it being embodied and not thinking, you know? And so, um, one of the things that I recommend to everybody as part of like a health practice, um, as a physician is daily movement, you know, um, as a way to an exertional movement, not so much for weight loss, even though weight loss is primarily what I practice, but quite literally to feel that exertion. Because when we feel the exertion, number one, we're focused on that. We're focused on our stretching hamstring and our heartbeat and panting maybe. And so we're no longer in our heads. And that in and of itself is such a welcome vacation, right? Um, oh, I love that. Right. And a vacation from our constant swirling minds. Right. Um, and it allows us to really be present and allow for kind of what, what may come from that, um, from that presence. But the second point is that we also, when we, when we stress quote, stress our bodies in that way or stretch our bodies that way, we are physiologically creating uh, similar states to kind of anxiety. And so one of the ways in which exercise helps people deal with anxiety, it's not only the endorphins, which is what we all talk about or think about, but it's actually mimicking a stress so that we are better capable to adapt to that stress. And so embodiment can come in different forms. I think the most concrete and obvious is exercise uh, or movement. Um, but it can be nature, like you discussed in your upbringing, um, and it can be in yoga, uh, which is also movement, right? But I wanted to bring up yoga because that is part of your, your eclectic past. Um, and I want to talk about it a little bit in the context of our children, because um, we are, many of us are now grappling not only with managing our day job, um, but also you know, homeschooling, um, as I'm talking to you, I'm hoping that my seven-year-old got onto her Zoom that started two minutes ago. Um, and what I will tell you, though, sitting beside her in her Zooms, is that they are bringing this yoga 
um, and mindfulness too into the, the virtual classroom. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts having been a teacher and a yoga instructor on how this can benefit us uh, as a society, individually and as a society. Yeah, I mean, first off, like, thank you and kudos and um, just acknowledgement for offering your clients that perspective, uh, which is not only preventative, but it is, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of any practice that is available on demand, that is self-regulating, that is uh, free, you know, and I, um, I know that when I feel disconnected, the first place I go is movement. And I'm somebody, because I have, uh, you know, I have basically clinical PTSD, um, sometimes exertive activity is not the best, right? Sometimes it's going to mimic a fight or flight state, but I love, and I, I, when I, when I didn't realize that, and I was only kind of running to feel exertion and I was really not working with the other side of breath work and yoga and the yin approaches and restorative approaches. Um, I was missing something pretty crucial, but in my yoga classes and with my students um, and clients, a big thing that I have worked with since March, because I had COVID, I got COVID, I got COVID, it was like April 13th is when I started to feel symptoms. I had it for, mm. well, I mean, I had it. We, we, once you have it, you have it. <laughs> but I, um, I realized right away, I was like, wow, my breath work and thank God for the work I've done around my breath work, but also let me do this with every client. And so thankfully I had studied with a pranayama teacher prior years ago and really learned the, the basics of pranayama and then kind of the prescriptive pranayama, which is geared at very specific organ functions, organ systems. So I think if that is given to people, and when I, you know, when I say to people, I'm like, here's some very basic approaches and yes, Wim Hof and yes, all these techniques are being proliferated now, thank goodness. Um, but even just for people to take, you know, six or seven deep breaths and to be aware of where their breath is moving in their body, as you said, it's a presence practice. Like all of these things are presence practices. Um, and right, our first step of anything is just notice what is. Can you be with what is? Can you be right where you are? Um, I have tattooed on my body in my mom and dad's handwriting, stay here, uh, stay on my left, here on my right. And it's, I mean, it's a very like tangible reminder. Because yes. as I said, I'm stubborn and I, it I really like is to, a, it is a know, beautiful and not tangible. stay. It is a beautiful and tangible reminder. And, and I'm glad that you brought up the fact that, yes, there are these very formal practices for breathing um, and they are being proliferated and propagated. And yet they can be a little bit intimidating. You know, even for me to hear those words, it's like, yikes, there's that's such a formal. But, but to your point, just plain deep breathing like we all know how to do um, will stimulate the vagus nerve, right? And um, the 
parts of the brain that are involved, like the hippocampus, the amygdala involved in emotional regulation. And then it, through the vagus nerve that connects the brain to the heart will bring down your heart rate and bring down blood pressure. So can you uh, give us like a, a, a quick exercise? So if our listeners are like, okay, I'm, I get it. This breathing thing is sure. helpful. How can they bring that into their day-to-day in a simple, do you have like a simple tip? Yeah, I have, um, what I've learned is from different sources, but I, I teach people pretty easily is a little breath toolkit and it's three different breathing exercises. They all are geared at slightly different results, but none of them are so extreme that you're going to upregulate extremely. Um, you know, downregulation is usually where people struggle because it's easy to upregulate. It's easy to get the sympathetic nervous system like charged up. Yeah. Explain that. Explain that a little bit more late term, Z, what you mean by upregulation and downregulation. Sure. Our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight response, which we need, we badly need, and really it, it hasn't much changed in the structure of our brains for what they say, 10,000 years, right? So we still have the fight or flight responses we did when we were you know, in a very different state. But the parasympathetic nervous system, which regulates rest and digest, right? Um, those two ideally interact well with each other. Ideally, we're able to get back to homeostasis, get back to uh, a level state. So the, the goal, right, is to upregulate when needed, right, if there is a threat, and downregulate appropriately. But what happens is, you know, we are caffeinated, we are, you know, I always think about the New York example, like, my survival is, is linked to money, it's linked to, or I think that, I convince myself of that. So if I miss my train, all of a sudden heart rate spikes, I'm in upregulation, I'm not feeling good. I, my body doesn't know the difference between me missing that train and me being like chased by a tiger. It's the right. same thing, like in my body, the same physiology. And so you're missing that train, right? And you're <laughs> feeling yourself go, right? <gasps> yeah. So, so what do you do in that moment? Give us, give us kind yeah. of more exercise. Sure. So what I do is I try to feel my sits bones, my pelvis, or my feet. If I'm standing, I feel my feet on the ground. I imagine them going through whatever surface I'm standing on to solid earth. Okay. I then start to pay attention to the tip of my nose because that is a clear physical focus. It's also the entry point of the difference between the inside of my body and the outside of my body. So the brilliance about breath is that it's an unconscious and a conscious system. If I fall asleep, I'm going to keep breathing. But what's cool is I can change my physiology by consciously breathing. So what I usually do in my three techniques I was mentioning, um, Mm -hmm. there's a pattern called four, seven, eight breathing. Sometimes it's called triangular breathing, but it doesn't really make sense because four, seven, eight are not even numbers, but go with me with this. I'm with you. (laughs) You inhale for four counts. You suspend the breath and you seal it, no air in or out for seven, and you exhale for eight. So the basic principle is that the longer that you exhale, right, you're going to stimulate your vagus nerve, which is the nerve that communicates to the brain to tell you you're safe. You don't need to fight right now. You can come back down. So we do inhale for four, hold for seven, exhale eight. 
another technique is box breathing. And I just want to stop you for a minute because as you were instructing us, I was following your instruction and mm -hmm. it's, it really is amazing to me every time that I do this, that within the first breath, I can already physiologically feel, you know, like you mentioned the down regulation. So it, the, this is not, sometimes we talk about breathing and breath work. And even for me, when I hear the word breath work, I, I wonder what kind of esoteric place we're going to go. But this is very concrete, right? The breathing is a very concrete, real way very. To, to get people to, to downregulate or to settle. Let's just call it that. So what's the next tip, yes. the box breathing? Box breathing. Um, so every, every part portion, all four portions have the same amount of time. You can do it in a four count, six count, eight count, 12 count, doesn't matter. Same increment. And you imagine a square. So if you close your eyes and you find a seat that is, you know, not going to cause distraction. So just try to find a stable seat. And then you're gonna so I'm going to ask our visitors actually, while yeah. if, if you're not driving while you're listening to this, Maybe let's just, let's just do it together. So find a seat sure. and yep. sit upright. I'm seeing you. Upright. I like to close my eyes because the visual, the visual stimulation is really, really seductive. So just close your eyes. If you need to lean back against something, if you feel okay supporting your spine, do it. And then you imagine the bottom left corner of a square. And that's where we're starting. You're going to go up for four counts to the top left. We're gonna go and we'll do it together here. Four counts. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Now stay across the top, hold the breath in. Three, four, exhale down to the bottom right. Three, four, across left. Two, we're going back to the start. Let's do it again. Inhale, one two, three, four, suspend, two, three, four, exhale out, two, three, four, seal the air, two, three, and four. So I would normally do no less than six. There's a bunch of studies that said Something happens at six breath where there's a remarkable physiological change. I, I wish I had the names of the studies and the, the you know, the researchers, but there's a, there's a bunch of them that they said, I, they don't know why six. And sometimes if somebody is building up endurance in their breath work practice, I'll extend the number. So we'll say, okay, let's try eight counts. Let's try 12 counts, right? The other thing that's really uh, nice about doing it in this way and envisioning the box, which I have never done before, is that when, for me at least, when I envision coming down the side of the box, um, I felt I could sense where there was kind of tension in our bodies. And even looking at you, I can see that your shoulders are up as were mine. And when you breathe out, right, you feel where that tension is being held and uh, relax the shoulders. So these are all really tangible um, practices, I think, um, that are very helpful to our, to our listeners today. Um, the one thing that I know to be true from having conversations with people, um, you know, day in and day out, because that's what I do is consult with, my, with patients, 
and also in my private life is that everyone is feeling some degree of anxiety. Even the non-anxious people, you know, the people who are not self-proclaimed um, anxiety-ers are feeling some sense of anxiety. And so these practices of breathing and also noticing where we are holding tension in our body, in our shoulders, in our jaws, in our eyebrows, you know, holding our eyebrows up for those who don't have Botox, right? <laughs> these are, these are um, you know, these are practices that can help really reduce the um or settle right the sympathetic nervous system and really reduce that sense of anxiety at least temporarily so i really appreciate you having gone through them with us um and all of your insight really in this podcast um i think for me the take-homes of of um, embodiment and practices like uh yoga uh exertional exercise if you see fit, nature, uh, and breathing. I think we could probably talk about these things forever, but you've given our listeners something to think about, and I appreciate you being here and, and sharing them with us. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And, you know, I will say this is like, it's, embodiment is such it's such a personal journey because sometimes we have to go at our resistance like usually where we have some resistance it's where we need to do some work it's where we need to kind of lean into it um and that's true physically like i have you know people that i know that do a lot of yoga and they resist doing high intensity interval training and you talk to them about why and really how we relate to how we do anything in one place is kind of how we do it everywhere so the reason I really encourage people to try lots of things, and when I teach on a weekly basis, I teach HIT, I teach breath work, I teach yoga, because personally, I want to know who I am in those disciplines. And so that's why I've done martial arts and been a dancer and been, a, you know, got into boxing and I was a track athlete and all these things because I was like, I want to know who I am, like who, how my essential nature shows up in these spaces. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's never an unworthy, um, endeavor. Yeah. No, it's, Absolutely. it's so, and, and like, once you have these practices, you know, my teachers, once you have these practices, literally you can be like having missed a transatlantic flight in some super stressful situation. You know, me and my best friend actually just came here. I traveled to Mexico, just moved to Mexico a week ago with my dog like, you know, I'm here and very, a lot of stress, of course. And what I know now is it's, you know, I just want to be the best captain I can of my ship in any storm. That's the goal. I think that's it's, a perfect, that's yeah. a perfect recap, right? Of, of um, a sense of agency, right? And using these practices to give yourself a sense of agency. So I thank you again, Whitney. For those of you who want to know more yeah. about Whitney's work, you can look her up on embodiedpotential.com. Um, and I don't know, Whitney, if there's uh, social handles that you want to shout out for our guests. Yeah, you know, I try to offer a lot of value and insight on Instagram, Whitney Tucker underscore. I, I answer all my DMs personally. I'm really interested in starting dialogues, having dialogues with people because I know how I know how much information is out there and to find people like you, Dr. Udim, and and find, you know, people that are willing to 
you know, put themselves in the work and embody what their work, embody their work. Um, so anyone that has any questions, please reach out. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm open to that dialogue. That's awesome. Thanks again, Whitney. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you.